and men do the dishes at home. Like find, there are really practical ways, you know, women do 70 to 80% of the domestic labor. If you want to see women in leadership, how are you practically supporting the women in your lives to go do the things that they love to do or that they're called to do or that they're gifted to do? How are you equally sharing in labor such that they have capacity to have imaginative space or to dream or to be visionaries if that's how God's wired them? Because for women, those things tend to take a, a backseat. Welcome to the Future Church Podcast with Anthony Delaney. If this podcast helps you, forward it to others, give us a review and subscribe today. For additional thoughts and resources, visit anthonydelaney.com. I just feel like a little bit prompted to tell a story here quickly. Um, When I started in this role, I was... uh, I think this goes to redefining what we imagine leadership to be, right? Um sitting around with my leadership team, just talking about a decision that we needed to make coming into the fall. And I had some grand plans of things I hoped we could do or accomplish, but I needed to kind of check in with them and understand what our capacity was and if this was even realistic. And my grand plans got reduced a little bit after that conversation with the lead team, but I really did want their their buy-in and their energy on this um, on this decision. And after the meeting, one of the guys on my team came up to me and said, you know, I would have respected you a lot more as a leader. If you would have just said, Nope, we're doing it. This is what we're doing. This is the grand plan. This, if you would have just like pushed us through, I would have respected you more as a leader. And I was grateful for that feedback. But then I said to him, like, I I think that you might need to reimagine how you view what leadership is. Cause that sounds a lot like patriarchy. Like this is the thing and we're going to do it every bit. And I could lead that way. I actually could be very highly directive in my leadership and in my communication. But when I say I want input from a multitude of voices and perspectives in this leadership team, I actually mean it. Like I'm not showing up to that meeting trying to convince you guys that my agenda is what's right. I actually want your input. And I don't want to kill the team forcing them to do this thing that I want to do because I got the long game in mind, right? And that nobody's going to be better for that on the other side of this if it's not sustainable what it is I'm asking you to do. And so to him, it was just like, wait, what? That's leadership? Like to gather the right voices and create safe space to wrestle and come to an outcome. It's not always consensus. There are times I need to make a decision, but I think that's maybe in just a microcosm of how some of these shifts of maybe what I imagined leadership to be in the church 10 years ago, and now what I'm imagining leadership to be in God's kingdom are quite different. And it's a journey. I'm still on that journey of like decolonizing my mind of what I imagine it means to to be a leader, to be effective, to bring people along in what it is that we're doing in the church. So good. Are there any... We've mentioned this book. I love to just throw out books and ideas and things for leaders that will connect with that. I've got my shelf looking up there. The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle really helped me with with that kind of thing. Um, again, because I was sort of effectively schooled that, you know, I mean, a lot of it did come out of the sort of Bill Heibel stuff was like, you know, leaders are there to sort of point to a hill and charge you, et cetera, rather than to, you know, to, to, to create the place where we get to go together mm-hmm. rather than you get to go and, and, and we all get to follow. And, you know, that with that, so that the culture code would be one, one for me in that that I'd really recommend to people. Anything that you've been reading or thinking you could kind of share that would help other people in this in yeah. this new 
it's not a new way it's just, i think it's the jesus way it's the way you know so much of this is there's nothing new under the sun so but what kind of things you know resources might if somebody's looking to do this what kind of thing yeah um where, where are the people who are who are leading like this totally. that you know I will say theologically and sort of in the imaginative world, um, there's a book by Randy Woodley called Indigenous Theology in the Western World. And that has really helped me reframe um, from a theological perspective, how I'm approaching what we do. And he would even say like kind of in a native context, it doesn't really matter what you believe. It's just how you behave. Like it doesn't matter what you accomplish, how you do it says what you believe. And so I think that's really interesting and just kind of stirring the pot on this. Um, Chris McChesney has four disciplines of execution. And what's so fascinating to me is like, so I was indoctrinated in that model of like the leader is going to build discontent for where we are, you know, to point people to where we're going. And I, and there's some great principles there, but at the same time, people own what they discover. Like people, people, and I see this with teams again and again and again, inviting them in to be owners and the conversation and to shape where you're going they're going to have 10x the passion to go pursue it and to do their part that contributes to it. And so just the sort of sustainability of a more inclusive leadership model that's more fully informed by other people, it just it is more effective in the long haul. It might not feel that way in the immediate. Uh, but Chris McChesney just has a lot of really practical skills or practical tools that kind yeah. of get people engaged um, Adam Grant has some great books too. I cannot remember the title, but he's pretty big on on culture and creating healthy and sustainable culture that's life giving. I think yeah. right now this is probably the most important conversation that leaders can be having as well. We're experiencing like the great um, resignation here, right? And and even in kind of um, marketplace organizations, this generation, millennials and below they care way more about the culture that they're in. I, I just had a conversation with a young woman that I've mentored since she was in high school. And she said, if a job is costing me my mental health, it doesn't matter how much it pays, I'm not going to stay there. Like this is how they're thinking, right? The culture of how we do what we do, they care way more about than like what they're getting paid or what it is that they're contributing to. And so I, I think there's a lot for us to learn in this area. If I think of other books, I'll send them to you. Send me titles. Cool. I'm feeling good about the Christmas Chesney because we just uh, did a thing here. I, I took everybody through the four disciplines of execution a few months ago, and we and now I just have two meetings this morning where people come in and telling me their wigs, you know, and because like uh, because for people who don't know that it's like you get people working on their not my I don't give them to their we agree them wildly important goals, mm -hmm. and you know they came to me and say you know for this next season these are the things that I think are most important for me to be spending my time on. And, and we agree those. And then when we have check-ins, it's me saying, so how's it going yeah. uh, on those things? You know, the idea is wigs, wildly important goals. Remember, um, there's pigs. Everybody has to get, we, we have pretty important goals that we all could rattle off our to-do list and that's pigs, but uh, pigs eat wigs, <laughs> you know, yeah, we can end up so busy in the whirlwind, they say, of the day-to-day. -day. I'm talking to leaders here. I know, I know what it's like on a, today could be a day like that today when I've got so many you know pretty important things that are going on and they are important but but like at the middle of all of that what have we identified stuff that i mean i know that chris mcchesney has done some stuff i think if you look on the andy stanley leadership podcast he's been on there too and he he's interviewed him on there but i remember it was andy stanley who first said something rock my world which was only do what only you can do and mm -hmm. shifting towards that and again that isn't an ego thing that's just the sense in which 
actually there's things that I'll add value to everybody else. The more I get to do that, the more I help you to be able to do your thing. And and um, yeah, the other one that comes to mind, Simon Sinek, Leaders Eat Last, is and a lot of his stuff is this kind of, it is collaborative leadership where people are, are you know, we, we're actually trusting people that they can hear God and that their hearts are right. And we know our job then is to walk with them and alongside them and guide them into into that thing where I don't have to, I don't have to give you all of the how and the why. Well, you got, you got, you got the why. You, you work out the hows, and and I'm there to for questioning. I think it's a different kind of leadership, but it's I, I you know I want to pray we see more and more of that. Totally. So, what? Um, yeah, absolutely. So, we, what what's um, what's most exciting to you right now? You know, in, in where you're at because we've we've done the journey, but now you're at uh, you're, you're at community. I know so many of the guys there that are part of that church, been friends for years. Um, what, what's what's it like where you are? How you know, how you're working this out more and more with the teams and the people you're working with and the communities you're connecting to. Yeah. Uh, I get really excited about just the hunger and the passion for the people that the people have who are a part of what we're doing right now. We have so many brand new people that are showing up. It's been really fascinating, like unchurched or longtime dechurched people. And um, what we're trying to really reimagine is kind of a full gospel ethic. Like we're having conversations, you know, we talked about what's been revealed in these last two years. I think racial tensions are in no way new here, but to understand that the implication of the fullness of the gospel is that we as followers of Jesus would be actively participating in dismantling systems of harm, like patriarchy and white supremacy and, and the racial divides. I mean, I think some of that being a safe space you know, in ourselves, with ourselves and our own stories, being a safe space with one another and being that allows us to be a place of reconciliation for this. Uh, I think um, the disconnect between men and women, like right now in this moment in culture is greater, you know, Me Too movement and Church Too movement. And we've seen it in politics and in Hollywood. I think for the church to live into our calling where there is no male, no female, no slave or free, no Jew or Gentile, where we are a place that is seeking to reconcile those divides where we're modeling mutuality, where we're, you know, submitting to the leadership of people of color. Like we're really trying to, to reconcile that call of the gospel to be that type of community. And so I get really excited, even from a, I don't know if evangelistic perspective is too strong of a word, but I think that the church becomes the most winsome community on the face of the planet when we can actually live into these intentions that Jesus had for it. And that gets me really excited as we're seeking to do that really hard work. I think more and more we become an answer to the questions that people are wrestling with right now. We become, you know, that city on a hill where it's like, oh, these things that the relationships between men and women, the um, racial tensions that are happening, we become a place of healing and those things that the world is, is deeply wrestling with. So I get really excited about ways we're trying to fully live into uh, active participation in the good news of the gospel. So good. Okay, I might not say this right, so give me some grace. Um, but around, obviously, we're in a very polarized world. I think, you know, 
we're the same here there's some things everybody agrees that everything was done badly around various things and uh you know i mean if you think if governments get it bad don't get me started but i think there's some stuff that you know ultimately uh, every nation at the moment in the middle of all the turmoil there's there's you know good leadership and bad leadership as we've talked about the self-focused self-centered and um you know there's so and at the same time, you know, what, what we see from here, and again, it's not about necessarily the nation or whatever, but you know, I'm aware that, the, you know, that in so many ways you can see the polarisation, you know, the red and blue states, the, the you know, ultimately from what you, some of what you said, I think there'd be some people that if, if the, 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 the people who go, oh, well, that's all a bit kind of woke or something and you're doing it like that. And you've immediately categorised somebody as somebody I'm not going to listen to. Mm. because because i've put you in a box by by that and and um and yeah you know and literally i've had people over the years with me because i'll post one thing and i'll post another thing and i'll post something else yeah. I post, and then people are like we don't know what you know what side you on we want to get you and literally I've had, we need to get you on side you're like a voice we'd love to get on side and, and and i'm like i'm not sure there's i, I I'm not, I'm not interested in the sides of this or whatever, but how do we, how do his leaders, and again, you know, ultimately to a greater or lesser extent, we have, we have, you know, public profiles and people looking at, you know, how do we just want, I'm interested in that, right? You know, we can, we can talk about the issues of just thinking, how do we navigate well, um, talking even talking about the issues and i think you're somebody who does that really well that's why i'm saying okay. it i've seen the way in which you've done it you you don't compromise but at the same time you uh you invite um comment and handle that well etc but you know you're clear about what you're clear about and and so just you know help me how do we how listeners how do we speak well into uh difficult issues yeah um man i appreciate the encouragement that you think that i do that well this is you know this is the biggest challenge i think of leading right now is helping people sort of see what's there and then figure out what it means to move forward in a better healthier way so um one of the greatest compliments somebody gave me after teaching similar to you is when I think you're going to go left, you go right. When I think you're going to go right, you go left. Like I just can't figure you out. And I do think one, it probably starts there with that is the way of the kingdom, right? I'm not, it is to be inviting people sort of on all sides into the ways of Jesus uh, and into the ways of the kingdom. I think so much of my maybe equipping to do that is that I've had to do my work. So I'm aware when I'm having these conversations that sometimes they're triggery for people, right? They're going to bring up a story or a narrative. I hope that the way I approach it is to tell stories that might be disruptive to those narratives that they hold on to or to the um, the narratives that maybe media or the news would give people, or, you know, when you look at stories, when you look at the parts of history that they might not hold, just telling a story, the narrative of that does do something different. And then poking or prodding, but doing so in a way that doesn't even try to assume that I've got it all figured out either. I like my hope is to bring people along in my journey and that that might make their own journey safe when it comes to these topics. And I try to engage with people that I don't, 
agree with. I mean, I do that in my own personal life who sits around my dinner table. I do that in conversations. And I hope whatever sense of social media conversation there is that I'm able to validate somebody's perspective that I don't understand or say, oh, I have more to learn on that because that really is different than how I see it. Or, oh, that's really interesting, but have you ever considered this? And, you know, so much of the ways that our brains work fighting or arguing about these polarized issues does nothing for anybody. Just it like our minds go into protective mode. There literally is no way to get somebody to change their mind when they have it made up there. Telling a story, inviting a different perspective, um, challenging an assumption or a status quo, maybe in a winsome way that's not like punch you in the face, actually does when you can create a way that people can think provocatively about something that's different than how they've held it before, but it's safe for them to do that. That's the only way that people may end up changing their minds. So I don't know. I hope people won't write me off as woke, but I know even kind of people in the church world that think that, you know, even just being a woman in this body violates things that they might understand the text to say, or, um, you know, I, I challenge their cultural expectations of me as a woman just being in a position of leadership. And so I have had to have this mantra for probably my whole journey in ministry of like, I have nothing to earn. I have nothing to prove. I have nothing to gain. I have nothing to lose. And that kind of four line sticks with me if I'm going to teach somewhere, if I'm showing up for a conversation, if I'm engaging with somebody on social media, when I show up to that and I have nothing to earn, nothing to lose, nothing to gain, nothing to prove, I can actually enter into that conversation as sort of a humble, obedient servant of Jesus. Like that's why I'm saying this is the spirit has put this on my heart. I'm I'm genuinely not looking to build a platform or talk about really hard things that people want to disagree with. It is like when the spirit leads, I'm going to be attentive to that and obey and put something out as a point of conversation. And then I can show up to those conversations in a really different way than if I have something to prove or or win somebody over to. Launch Replant is just around the corner on October 3rd and 4th in Wigan. As a Future Church podcast listener, you can get an extra 10% discount on the already discounted summer deals when you use the promo code FUTUREChurch at checkout. Book your ticket for you and your team today at launchcatalyst.org. It's really helpful, yeah. I think, again, I'm going back to my own style of communication and being and again as a police officer there were times when you know you'd kind of um you know i could just say look i don't care what you think i'm arresting you you know <laughs> you know it's like you know it's there like, are times uh, i have uh, to say i don't care what you think yeah. you're doing this right yeah um but uh, that doesn't work very well in church you know <laughs> so um and but i think that social media i did it's just reminding me of an interesting thing just recently that i had with somebody who seemed to me that a lot of what they were putting out on Facebook was very uh, inflammatory. I wasn't sure it was serving the church well. I didn't really know this person. Somebody recommended him as a friend of a friend. I just saw a lot of stuff they were putting on that just seemed to be, you know, I was like, man, take a chill pill. Just, it's okay. You know, you don't have to be angry about everything. And then I commented on one thing and then he commented back like, and um, I just said, here's my phone number can we we don't think we actually know each other can you ring me or give me yours now i'll talk to you and we ended up speaking for about an hour and he was saying well you're just saying i'm always negative you've not read the rest of my posts where i you know 
I spend money to the cat's home and I do this and various things like that. Yeah. And I said, and I said, well, that's interesting, isn't it? I said, as I said it, I said, because Facebook doesn't show me those things about you. The algorithms only push to me the things that you say that are controversial and that are inflammatory in some way because they don't, I suppose they don't care about the fact that you wish everybody else happy birthday or that you, whatever. And I mean, I, I mean, I was speaking it to myself too, thinking people might think they know me because they know me from Facebook or from social media or from other things like that. Whereas in fact, they've got an algorithmic picture mm. of me. And that's, we've all got an avatar effectively like that right now. Mm -hmm. And until we actually get the, some, like you said, I love you getting people around your table until we get those things happening and get real with people, we're all going to always going to have those, those things. So, you know, one of my favorite questions to ask people is what, you know, what do people misunderstand about you? What are people who think they might know you? Um, you know, what, 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 what might, what don't they really know about, about Kerry? What is it that, that, uh, you know, they're going to go, Oh, she's like this. And you kind of go every time. Oh, I'm not really. Yeah. The, um, the weirdest one to me is that I get a lot of people like, oh, you are so competent. Like I, that's how they experience me is so competent. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know if that comes off as arrogance. I don't know if we're just not accustomed to seeing a woman who's kind of comfortable in her skin or have a voice. You know, I know that violates some social expectations, but I don't experience myself to be like this competent person. I, I probably have a reasonable amount of self-assurance, again, from that like kind of mantra that I hold of who Christ is in me. But um, I don't know. <clears throat> that's a weird one of that I... That people well, that's interesting, and it, and it really connects back with something you said previously that I've read uh, on something that you put, um, which was, I followed a link that you put about somebody who'd been very influential to you, forgive me, I can't remember the name, but it was a, a woman writer who looked into the abuse, um, the pathologies of power, those things we were talking about earlier, but I'm thinking, I'm sure it was you, maybe that you said something about that, you know, a girl is at her most confident at the age of seven or eight nine, or something like that. And then it old. kind of goes downhill Yeah. from, I honestly, I broke my heart. Yeah. I, you know, I have two daughters, I have granddaughters and I'm, I literally, I walk around stunned yeah. from that quote there yeah. because I don't think, you know, I didn't get, I didn't get that. Boys don't, I don't, many, many boys, I mean, I'm speaking, <laughs> but, you know, but, but the fact that that's where we are, you know, maybe help me understand what does that, what does that mean? What does it mean for you in terms of, you know, what does confidence mean and and, and how do we actually help everybody get better by, by, you know, we just had a, a, a you may not have seen it over here, but we've just seen the weekend, the, the England women's soccer team just won the world cup. It just won, sorry, they won the Euros. And it was like, it, honestly since then it's like you know girl power has gone crazy everybody etc you know because and, and and it's been and, and actually women's football was treated as proper football yeah you know it was like it wasn't just though oh they're over and it was like it was on national every the whole nation was watching and cheering and uh, and it was and that's you know but what how, how can what, what what does it mean again maybe that's that's great if you're sporty i suppose as well but but what does it do how how do we be, again do bring a kingdom perspective to that? Yeah. What what works and yeah. 
I'm so glad you asked this question. <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts. Uh, the quote was that uh, it comes from Ellen Duffield's research that a woman's self-confidence peaks at nine years old. So nine years old is the highest her self-confidence will ever be. And it goes down from there. And there's several factors to that, but one of them is this is the age between abstract and concrete thinking for children. And so it's when you kind of, the way that you see the world and process the world transitions. And so there's something about this age that women as young girls, as they pay attention to women, they realize all of the varying expectations on women. So you know, work hard, don't take up too much space. They see the women in their lives accommodating the needs of everybody around them, doing emotional labor, doing domestic labor. Um, women are are really taught to not have like, don't have too big of aspirations, right? Don't let your dreams get in the way of your husband's. Maybe that even is the dream is to end up married or um, as a mom, which are wonderful things, but women are not taught to have uh, aspirations. And so there's a lot of conflicting messages for women. I think that's part of it. Um, it's like, have a voice, but don't, don't rock the boat, right? Like it, for, for men to be disruptive around a boardroom table, I mean, that could just almost come up naturally or accidentally, but for a woman to be disruptive, even how we experience that from a woman is quite different because of how we view women in media and in movies. And so all of these things are a factor, just how we socialize and culture culturalize men and women really differently. Um, I will tell you, I had a, a man that I work with when I quoted this statistic to him, he said, well, at what age does a man's self-confidence peak? And I was like, I don't know. That's a really good question. I'm going to look it up. And I did. And it's 67 is when a man's self-confidence is at its highest. But you ask what we can do about this. And um, I think one, listening to women is a really valid way that we can help build their own self-assurance, validating women, validating the experiences that... So I, I just saw somebody say like, the things we have to be done with today, asking women to read my email and tell me if it's offensive, <laughs> right? Like, what does it look like to not just want a woman to weigh in on something, but to want a woman to help make a decision. What, like, If we understand that women might be more in tuned with their emotional world than men, and again, this is actually harm that I think we do to men in the way men are socialized and cultured. We don't allow them to have as much capacity emotionally or be in touch with their emotions because of the messages we give men when they're young boys. Like, I, I think there's equal harm done here. But to validate the perspective of women instead of write them off as emotional, to, to have room at the table for the empathy that they carry for the outcome of a decision that we make instead of being annoyed because that isn't how the direction that we want to go in. Like there's some, there's some validation that makes a big difference um, because of the way women are cultured and socialized. They have to be asked their opinion. So if you're sitting at a boardroom table, even to find women to have in that room, right, there's a, a hill there, there's an obstacle there. But then once they're in the room, women just don't tend to speak up unless they're called upon. And they're, like I remember being told at 16 years old at my first job, you are to be seen and not heard. You can speak when you're spoken to from like a guy in the 60s who ran our finance department. You know, like I, though, sometimes these are subtle and sometimes they're very overt. And so uh, you may have to ask women, what do you think? about this decision or what would you say about this challenge that we're facing because they may not just 
they're actually violating a social expectation to just speak up and add value in that conversation without being asked. So I think we've just got to grow in our awareness of some of these ways that we're cultured and socialized. I think giving women permission, not because they need it. And I think we have to be really cautious about what we let women do, but just again and again and again, giving women permission to do the thing that's in them at home, at work, at church, you know, doing an out. Maybe a woman's not ready to teach, but she could do announcements and host at Ivy. Maybe she does that a couple of times. It's like, you could lead a communion moment. Like when you get up and you share your heart, it's powerful. You know, giving women permission and kind of calling them forward in the things that we want them to do, I think is one of the really significant ways that we can begin to change that trajectory. Yeah. Um, you know, here at Ivy, I hear that. want to keep on doing that as much as possible. We want to be... Have, have women at every level of leadership. We have, you know, women elders. We have women speakers, leaders every, in every in everything that we're trying to do. Um, and that to me is just it, I, I, there's just no. I, I find no biblical warrant for anything other than that. Um, I think too that the interesting conversation that we often have is that when I'm speaking with women, women staff members, et cetera, at different points, very often I'll feel like I have to give women even more encouragement because actually if it, if it was a scale of one to 10 of how they rate themselves, men will come away and already give themselves an, an eight or nine and kind of feel like, you know, okay, well, tell me one thing I need to get better. Whereas I'll speak to one of the women and they'll kind of say, they'll have found everything already that they know was wrong that they've done. I don't even have to, even if they haven't, they'll tell me them things that they know that they got totally wrong. And then I've got to pour so much more water on that. And I mean, there's a danger. I get into sort of becoming like the mansplainer on it. But at the same time, I do want to encourage people. And it's like, how do you get that confidence around that? And specifically, let's just talk about it. You mentioned at the end there about women and the guy who says to you, you know, just be quiet. A really good book on that, Women and Power by Mary Beard, who is an English historian, classicist. And she goes, she it's amazing. She goes right the way back to um, the, the Greeks, to Athens and the Romans and those cultures and things like uh, um, Homer's Odyssey and the way that women were portrayed in that and having their tongues cut out. And, and it was like to silence women was a manly thing to do. Mm-hmm actually and it's and that's and like ever since then women you know must know their place and she goes right the way back to that and goes right the way through it's a fascinating book it's a short book i really encourage people to to get to that but i think it is that thing of ultimately of not letting women speak is a power issue Mm -hmm. very often as well in the same way as the things that we're talking about and um yeah so for anybody who's listening from a complementarian or whatever it is point of view and all that kind of thing okay read that book as well and just just think well how much of this is culturally conditioned in the way in which i now pick up my bible and and it encourages me in the way that i want to read the bible versus what does the bible what what, again what does the text actually say culturally in the ways in which it's saying but Again, how do we encourage more women to to speak? We've hosted here Danielle Strickland's Women's Speakers Collective. It was fantastic. You know, I, I benefited so much from women speakers at launch this year. We've got about, I don't know, about equal, I think, something like that. You know, but we, you know it's not intent. It's not like we've, we don't have a rota, a quota or whatever, but we just, we want to hear those voices. So what can we do in churches? As you've said, other ways we can encourage women to step up uh, and speak up. 
Yeah, uh, I highly recommend Ellen Duffield's book, Brave Women. She just talks about how to equip and come alongside women in leadership. Um, She started at a a church in Canada, actually a program even at the middle school level to help young women find their voices, especially because of that age statistic, uh, to help women find their voices as a young woman and then be developed and trained in a leader. Hopefully it gives them less to overcome kind of in adulthood. Um, I I do, you know, I I have respect for, I can hold space for people that view the text differently. I understand their motivation is to really honor the word of God and to, you know, that's what they want to do is, is honor what they believe God's word says. But I think this is another one of those things that we have to look at the root at the outcome of our theology when it comes to this. And we have to look at both what the text says, but also what Paul and Jesus do, right? Like how, how because they're, they're violating one or the other with what they do and how they speak. So I don't want to write off anybody that believes differently than this, but we have to look at the root of it. We, and there's a lot that's coming out right now about complementarian cultures, right? And the consequences of those cultures when it comes to women. So I think if you want to be, whether you're complementarian or ego, There are ways that you can affirm gifts in women. There are ways that you can listen to women and create spaces for them to speak into what you're doing. Um, I think to your point, you know, encouraging the women that are using their gifts and just giving all the permission you can for opportunities for women to use their gifts. Huge, huge. And I often say in this conversation, and men do the dishes at home. Like find, there are really practical ways, you know, women do 70 to 80% of the domestic labor. If you want to see women in leadership, how are you practically supporting the women in your lives to go do the things that they love to do or that they're called to do or that they're gifted to do? How are you equally sharing in labor such that they have capacity to have imaginative space or to dream or to be visionaries if that's how God's wired them? Because for women, those th- things tend to take a, a backseat. And so, um, Eve Rodsky is a you know more secular writer. She's not a faith-based writer, but she wrote a book called Fair Play about this. And it just gets into a lot of the statistics about how home life and domestic life works and the ways that that just holds women back really broadly um, because women have the mental list all of the time of all the needs and all the things that need to get done. And so I actually think this is why we have more men in sort of visionary roles because they have all the green space in their minds ever to be creative and to dream and to think. And I know as a visionary leader, I have to carve out space for that. And there are so many things that it might be the expectation to have on my list as a woman that I've had to outsource to other people to get done because you know, your whole life can be sort of directing the cruise ship because that's just sort of the expectation we put on women. So really practically share in the domestic labor with the women in your lives. That's one way to really see women be able to have capacity to step into leadership roles as well. Amazing. This is going to be, I think, just such a great help to so many people, this podcast. I've been so... I think we're actually going to make it make it into two. We might make it into make it as a two party because there's so many, so much richness, and so many. I mean, we've hit on some pretty big topics here today, <laughs> and uh, I think that you know, for lots of people, are going to want to you know dig into these things and and think about them in their own 
um, their own settings. How does this apply? How does this land where I am? We'll have opportunity to be able to hear more face to face, live for real, uh, with Kerry at launch replant, third um, to the fourth of October uh, this year, uh, where um, she's one of the uh, panel of speakers that we've got uh, coming um, to join us at that, and we've got some amazing people who are who are going to be helping us in this um, great community of kind of entrepreneurial future thinking church leaders and um it, it meets in Wigan just outside of Manchester and I'm so excited and delighted that you're going to be joining us for that Kerry is there anything else last kind of little things that you feel like before we we you know we, we wrap up uh is there anything else you, you just sort of feel is you know something really important for anybody else anything left on the table or um you know anything that you'd like us to pray for a challenge for yourself or anything like that as we begin to kind of uh, draw it to a close yeah. Um, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for the opportunity to join you off for launch. I really can't wait for that. The thing that just keeps coming up in me, just as we conclude our time, is that I really think the future of the church is together. Uh, the, it's men and women together. It's a wide variety of ethnic folks, socioeconomic class diversity. The future of the church is us being in it together with people who don't look like you, who don't vote like you, who don't live like you. I think that's the only way forward is together. And so I'm really looking forward to um, unpacking what that looks like as we pursue the future of the church together. Amen. Could you pray that for us as we wrap up this episode of Future Church? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. Thank you. Creator God, we are so grateful um, for this wild idea that you had of the church, that you selected people to be your ambassadors here on earth. Uh, God, we know from the beginning of the story of the Israelite folks, your dream for them is that they would be uh, a people who were set apart, that through whom you would bless the entire world. And God, I know that that mission that you have of redeeming and restoring the world continues, uh, that you have called us into that. And I know that it's only by your spirit that we're going to be equipped to be able to do that work um, together, that we're going to be able to come together even amongst our differences in a way that reflects your goodness, uh, the interdependence that you designed us to have on one another, and God, ultimately in a way that brings healing to the broken places in this world. Uh, we're honored to join Christ in the redemption and restoration of all things. And I pray just for every one of us listening to this, that you would be um, drawing our hearts to that idea, that you would be poking and poking and prodding and provoking us um, to explore how you're breaking into this world around us, for us to get in line with that and to be a part of the work that you're already doing here. God, we know that this world right now um, is in desperate need of you. Uh, is in desperate need of the hope that you offer, is in desperate need of the power of the gospel and the reconciliation to ourselves and back to you and to one another that comes as a fruit of that. And so that's what we ask for, God. That's what we long for. And that's what we hope uh, that you'll let us be a part of as we follow you in the work that you're doing in this world. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Kerry, for uh, sharing your wisdom and your story and um, so many great things. Everybody listening, um, I'm sure this has been so helpful for uh, many of us. The way you get to pay, pay me back and Kerry back is if you can uh, subscribe, share with other people that you think you'll also uh, need to hear this. But thanks for being our guest today and uh, thanks for everybody listening to the Future Church Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Future Church Podcast. 
If you enjoyed this conversation, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, listen back with your team and share it. Further thoughts and resources can be found at anthonydelaney.com.